1: Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast and all other Gear Network podcasts can now be heard on the all-new Radio.com app. That's right, Radio.com, available for both Android and Apple. You can download that app and you can take Gear Network with you, as well as your favorite AM and FM radio stations. Take it around the world, listen anytime, on demand, you got it. Radio.com for all Gear Network podcasts, listen in.
2: The following is a presentation of the
3: Gear Radio Network.
1: What's up, rock soldiers? This is rock star Robbie Vegas coming at you with another episode of All Bets Are Off. Uh, today we have Ace Von Johnson on the show. Ace is the guitarist of the LA Guns and Faster Pussycat both currently, and uh, we get into his love of horror movies, where music started for him, his first tour, and all the bands that he was in previously. So we hope you enjoyed this uh, interview, and of course we're sticking with our love of hair metal by having Ace on the show. And of course, before we get into the interview, I do need you guys to check out UnchainedMuscle.uk. Unchained Muscle has has what you need to look good and feel good in the gym. I'm talking shaker bottles, hats, gym bags, shorts, leggings, tank tops, t-shirts, men's, women's, and of course the mental health charity section which donates some of the proceeds from your purchase to mental health charity. Just use code R Vegas 20 at checkout to save 20% off your order and let us know what you think. So without further ado, let's talk to Ace Von Johnson. So the first thing I want to do before we even get into any kind of questions is just to thank you for being here. I know you're a busy guy, so I truly appreciate your time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: So I just want to kind of take it all the way back to the beginning for you. So give me your, your earliest memory of being into music.
2: Uh, my earliest memory, like, of, I don't know, uh, of being into music. I remember being a kid, and when I say kid, I'm like a little boy, like four or five and hearing the Eagles Hotel California mm-hmm. and uh, People Are Strange by the Doors. Um, interestingly enough, I was just discussing the same thing last night after a rehearsal <laughs> with some buddies and I was like, oh, it's funny, both those songs are in the key of B minor and uh, that's my favorite key to play uh, play in. So uh, interesting little sidebar there. But um, those, yeah, those two things two really st- stuck out, I guess, uh, stood out as uh, a kid sort of the i think maybe the lyrical content or what i was able to understand or maybe just because they were just sort of uh dark in tone and then uh a lot of duop, like a lot of 50s duop was played at me by my mother which i still have a fondness for mm-hmm. you know chubby checker and danny and the juniors and all that nonsense and uh i don't know and then just from there it was like the it was um, i'm trying to do the math how old uh, what year would have been if i was like five to ten the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of, you know, the hair metal stuff or whatever was sort of in my peripheral just because MTV was such a such a large portion of any, you know, like adolescence time uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, back when they played just music videos. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, I remember getting turned on to a lot of things from Headbangers Ball and about... Thirty minutes ago, I'm not. I, I I'm probably going to end up name dropping a ton just because it makes for better stories. But uh, <laughs> I just the last person I was on the phone with about thirty minutes ago was uh, Ricky Rackman, who's the host or was the host of Headbangers Ball. Because I'm actually flying out to stay with him this weekend. We're doing like a what do you call it, like man trip? Like we're going to go see The Misfits and go like hiking and like just whatever so it's interesting how the world has come full circle sometimes but um yeah a lot of that stuff and then you know trying to kind of speed this along too uh, a lot of the stuff that i got into on my own accord you know when you're like 11 or 12 years old was just stuff that was on the radio like metallica the Black blackout came out in 91 so i was nine then so like You know, by 1992-93, when I was 10 or 11, that record was the biggest album, basically, in the world. Right. And so, uh, you know, I had that, and and then I think, like, and then the Green Day thing happened, Nirvana, all that kind of stuff. So Stone Temple Pilots, I bought, I remember being a fan of the first record and then, like, buying the second album when it was new. And again, I was probably, like, 11, maybe 12. Um, So those are a lot of my early earliest musical kind of leanings and then i have an older a a sister who's much older than me about 14 years older than me so by the time i was like 12 or 13 she was already almost you know she was in her late 20s she was like you got to check out the ramones and the damned and social distortion and then that kind of set my tone for a lot of the punk rock stuff i listened to pretty much most of my life from there on forward
1: okay very cool so how how old were you when you actually got into your first band okay
2: so first band like a real band like played shows and and did stuff
1: yeah. i was
2: uh it was the day after i turned 17 so uh roughly roughly 20 years ago because um, i have a birthday coming up in about two weeks but uh oh, happy early birthday no oh, thank you my friend so um yeah i mean you know i had like garage bands and stuff like that like you know to the t it was like you know you and your friends would get together and jam in the garage but never we never played you We know, never did anything we never made a demo or any of that stuff but when I was 17, I started a band with some people uh, in, in San Diego, because um, I was born in L.A., and I've lived here until I was 14, and then my folks moved me to San Diego, and I lived there until I was 19. But, uh, so I started my first band down there with some friends, and within about three months, we were doing, like, what they call, like, playing with national acts, mm-hmm. you know, like, supporting whatever else. And and the band was, it was a punk rock band. I mean, we basically sounded like Rancid, if you're familiar with that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um... You know, kind of rancid meets, you know, I don't know, The Clash kind of thing. And and within a few months, we were opening for a lot of big national acts. You know, we were playing with, uh, we did a show with the Misfits and uh, maybe like the UK subs and I think we played with the guy, one of the guys from Rancid Side Project, and, you know, and we became one of these bands where promoters in town would stick us on shows because they knew that my band was capable of drawing, you know, 50, 100, 150 people a show. And it was an interesting experience because it really kind of helped me learn the ins and outs of sort of networking and not necessarily the music industry, but just like how to promote and how to book a show and you know, there was email and dot-coms, but there wasn't social media at this point. This was like 2000, 2001. Okay. So, you know, I had like, you know, still had, like a mailing list and an emailing list. You had to go around and pass out flyers still. And it was still kind of the old school tactics. And then uh, I did that for a couple years. And I, you know, through the networking and booking shows, I ended up becoming friends with a lot of bands um, that I was a fan of. Uh, again, still kind of in the punk rock genre. And, um, you know, uh, there was a band from San Diego called Agent 51 that was really big down there. And I was like, before I had my own band, I was the roadie and I only mentioned them because they just did their, like, annual reunion show about two weeks ago, and I went down and, like, got up and played a song with them. And those guys, they had a record deal. They got signed to a major eventually, but before that, they were on Green Day's record label called Adeline. So working with these guys, like, as basically their crew guy, uh, I learned a lot through them, too. So by the time I was 19, I kind of had, like, a little bit of an idea as, like, what was going on, like, you know, what to do and what not to do. And then uh, 19, I got asked to join a band that had a record deal, and, i did and off i went and i toured for nonstop for three years and that put me into my 20s and then that you know all of a sudden was my career
1: fast okay.
3: forward about 15
1: more years awesome awesome so now you, you yeah. mentioned the punk scene a bunch of times and i just wanted to um you know name some of the bands that you were in at that time uh like cheap sex murphy's law and yeah. unwritten law and yeah. if i have this correct one of the first tours you went on was opening for simple plan is that true that actually is the first real tour I
2: ever did. Yeah, that's true. It's funny. I've got this gig tonight with this um, project that doesn't play very often called Neon Coven. and mm-hmm. it's totally the antithesis of what we're discussing right now. It's like it sounds like Depeche Mode. But we started playing. Uh, we started playing. I'm addicted to you at rehearsal
3: the other night. Though. <laughs> Anyhow, but yeah, um, yeah. I was
2: 19 and. That was actually the tour leading up to me getting my, uh, I was given obviously the nickname Ace on that tour. Uh, so I joined this band called Madcap and they had a deal and were known and had done a ton of national touring and uh, you know sold a couple, not a lot, but sold some records and had some songs on the radio and blah, blah, blah. And like I mentioned, through booking shows and being sort of the like you know co-promoter and all these things at 16, 17, 18 or whatever it was, they were one of the bands that I befriended. And then they ended up needing a guitar player, blah, 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 so I joined this band. And the first tour that I did with them was uh, started in Florida, and so it was Simple Plan. And Mm -hmm. on the way to the first tour, uh, first tour date, there was like an accident and I was driving and swerved the van and saved the day or whatever, and all these other cars got in this big gnarly accident on the highway, and my singer was like, holy shit, you just aced that. He was like, check out the new guy Ace up here saving our lives or some dumb thing. We got, we got to the first show of the Simple Plan tour and sort of jokingly they were like, this is our new guitar player Ace and I hate and I hated it. I was like, ugh, like the guy from Kiss, I hate it. So, uh, there's a little side story for you on, on, on that. But yeah, so my first tour was with Simple Plan. Yeah, I forgot about that.
1: So then, how do you find yourself in more of the metal scene uh, coming from a punk scene like that?
2: You know, I have
1: no idea. Um
2: <laughs> uh, it was kind of a natural progression, and it's really strange because one of the guys that was a key part in my sort of sort of genre switch—it was his birthday yesterday—and I've just been thinking about him a lot. Uh, this guy named Charlie Overby. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll come back to that. So, uh, I—you I, know—the cheap sex thing you mentioned. I mean, I started that band with with basically the original drummer of my first band, and um, my first band. You know, although we were sort of I had a little bit of uh, local clout. We never really did anything. We did a we did one tour up to the up to like Portland or something like that. You know, like six days or something. No big deal. Yeah. And then from that, a lot of things happened. But also, one of the things was this guy Mike Virus from this punk band in Philly called the Virus uh, had moved to San Diego and he basically absorbed my first band, and that's sort of what led to the uh, how the uh, cheap sex thing coalesced. And so, so doing that, and even though that's not really the question here, uh, that started, and then Murphy's Law was much later, but, um, so I, I did Cheap Sex for about a year, we did an album, um, I was still in my teens, maybe 20, no, younger, 19, 18, 19, then I joined Madcap, I did that for about two and a half years, and then I became really good friends with a guy named Dwayne Peters of, uh, he's like, he used to be a sort of well-known pro skater in the 80s, and he had this band called the U.S. Bombs that I was a huge fan of, and uh, one of the bands I was touring with did a tour with the U.S. Bombs, and, you know, Bob's your uncle, blah, 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 I became really good friends with them. they needed a guitar player, blah, 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 you get the point. Yeah, So I did did that, I did, there's so many bands from that era that I played with, whether it was like a month or a year or, or two shows, a lot of it I can't even remember because it's just trip okay so let's <laughs> just leave with that so but where i'm going with this is that the booking agent for the u.s bombs i was about uh, 24 and there was a couple things going on and i i was living in hollywood and i was 23 24 and i was no longer interested in being in uh, a punk band i wasn't listening to that kind of music anymore and my guitar playing skills were starting to develop outside of that the joke i make is i was listening We had a three-month residency at the Piper Room. We had a residency at the uh, Roxy. I think we even had one at the Whiskey. But it was kind of like what Steel Panther was before Steel Panther blew up.
1: Oh, okay. So it was, it was like a, every Tuesday night at 10 o'clock,
2: we did two hours of covers with four hot singer uh, girls who wore, who wore nipple tape. And moving from that, uh, myself and two of the girls quit the band because we had a falling out with the manager. And the uh, three of us started a band <laughs> called Butcher Babies. Um, oh wow! And that's a whole yeah, that's a whole other thing.
1: Yeah. Um, wow. And so I did the first demo with them called Welcome to the Meat
2: Show. I think they released it after I left the band. But at a, the same time, give or take a year or so, I was playing in these punk bands, but actively trying to get into the rock community. And so the booking agent for U.S. Bombs was this guy at the time named Charlie Overby. And Charlie Overby is a uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a reformed '80s rock guy, right? Okay. And so, like, uh, he had a band in the '80s called Big Bang Babies, and their only real notoriety was that the original guitar player is a guy of Kerry Kelly, and Kerry Kelly has since gone on to play with Slash and Rat and uh, Night Ranger and Alice Cooper and all these huge acts.
1: Oh, wow. okay. So,
2: so Charlie had his sort of you know roots in in the scene that I'm now a part of, if you will, and I'm about and Charlie says you look like you're a rock and roll guy why are you in this shitty god awful
3: punk band and I said <laughs> "Why? Well, you know just doing what I've always done and you know I've been in Murphy's Law and all these other things and he says well I've got this project with uh, this
2: guy named Jerry Montano who was in Heliad yeah Danzig he's got a few guys I've got Brian Forsythe from Kicks on Guitar and Chad Stewart from Faster Pussycat and L.A. Guns on Drums and I need another guitar player do you want to join the band? And I said, fuck yeah, that was the in I was looking for. And so, Charlie, who I mentioned earlier his
3: birthday yesterday, mm-hmm. basically brought me in and I met through him, you know, Tracy Guns and Tami Down and all these people. And even though the band that we
2: did sounded nothing like that, it sounded more like social distortion uh, meets like you know, Springsteen. <laughs> um, I was able to meet a lot of people it Was this project called Charlie and the Valentine Killers. And we did a, a short run with with Headcat, you know, Lemmy from Motorhead's other band at the time. And we did dates with Reverend Horton Heat and we did a full tour with David Allan Coe, the legendary country singer and songwriter. And we did a bunch of stuff. And so 24, 25, 26, I was busy with this switchblade Kitty thing with the girls that eventually would become Butcher Babies, which they have sort of omitted me from that history, which is fine. But, you know, it still happened. Uh, I still played and recorded and did showcases and photo shoots with that band under the title Butcher Babies, which Mm -hmm. is not really a sore subject for me because I don't care. But it's sort of like, you know, if I got on stage and played a show with you and it was called Metallica, then guess what band I was in for that one show?
1: Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah.
2: Anyways, I digress so what's your baby's <laughs> thing the switchblade kitty thing was going on whatever you want to call it and I was playing with Charlie I think at one point I was in 13 bands at once
1: oh my god um, wow.
2: the guy I mentioned Jerry uh, excuse me Jerry Matano uh, I was in his project and through that I met a bunch of people you know we were going to like Cantrell's after parties and a bunch of black label society stuff and like you know, he used to be in Danzig and hell yeah, so there were these Pantera ties with this guy and these Danzig ties. And I just, you know, I was 24 and I'm meeting all these people I grew up being a fan of. Because aside from the punk rock stuff, I also listened to a lot of like Slayer and Danzig and Megadeth and Typho Negative and a lot of that stuff too when I was a kid. Just before I started a band and kind of went into that niche of mm-hmm. punk rock. That's kind of where my whole career if you will if you even want to call it that sort of started and then you know I was playing with Chad Stewart and uh eventually Pussycat King the Guy I was 26 I guess when they brought me in 25-26 and then uh you know ended up joining Faster Pussycat and did that for a really long time I'm still technically uh, a member um I just been sort of opting out of some of the stuff lately, you know, and then that obviously led through the same thing with LA Guns, to you know, Phil and Tracy, and, and
1: then here I am. Okay, so you were in Faster Pussycat first, and then LA Guns was, was the second to come around and bring you into the fold.
2: Yeah, okay. uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of little sub-particles too, you know, like I, you know, jammed with Steven Adler a few times, and a couple other things that, you know, don't bear repeating, but yeah, I mean, I joined Pussycat I came in in 2009, I became a member of 2010, we're what, three weeks from 2020, I did some shows, I basically did everything from the beginning of 2010 until uh, the spring of this year, I had to sit out a summer tour because it just didn't, it just was too much, I had too much going on to go out on tour with Pussycat for two and a half months again, but, um, and then I joined <laughs> LA Guns, uh, roughly a year and, uh, you know let's just called 15 months ago. Okay,
1: very cool. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. um let's let's just take a quick second here just to uh get away from the music discussion for just a second because I know that you sure. are a huge fan of horror films and oh, yeah. Vincent Price. So, yeah. give me your top 3 Vincent Price movies. Um top 3 Vincent Price movies. Number 1 is this is not
2: because of his performance or anything, just it's It's a movie called Monster Club from 1980. It's a British film, um, and it's an anthology film, kind of like Creepshow and stuff like that. And the reason... It is my favorite is because it's so obscure that I can count on one hand how many people I've
0: met that are aware of it. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> like, it's the kind of... If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at JoinMIDI.com. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com
1: gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM
2: thing where i bring it up when people are like oh i love vincent price and i'm like monster club and they're like what the hell is that <laughs>
1: um
2: one of the handful of people ironically is my uh is my buddy don jameson that metal show and he and i will periodically text each other nonsense strictly about monster club so that's number one um and I actually collect memorabilia from the film because um, i'm a nerd so that's number one. Number two, and I'm just actually looking at a giant one
1: sheet for the, the movie. I'm going to go with the oblong box, the uh, Edgar Allan Poe uh, film. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Um, 69, Good error for Price. He was kind of t- almost typecast, but he did a whole series of these Poe films, and I think that was his uh, strongest. And then number three, definitely House of Haunted Hill. It's
1: got to uh, be. It's got to be included in there somewhere, right?
2: Yeah, William <laughs> Castle film. Uh, interesting. A little nerd tidbit here for you. Uh, William Castle, the director of that and The Tingler and 13 Ghosts and a couple other uh, well-known sort of horror suspense films from the era. My father lived down the street from him when he was a little boy. And so he used to go, uh, William Castle would show his movies at his home to all the neighborhood kids before
3: they came out. Oh, wow.
2: And so when, when I was a little kid, you know, like six or seven, my dad would say, I want you to watch this movie with me. It's the scariest movie I've ever seen, and I, I could never understand why he was so afraid of it because it wasn't. It's not really that scary of a movie, <laughs>
1: um,
2: but what what it really was was that he saw it as a little boy and it scared the shit out of him, and so he still had a hard time watching it. So that's since become one of my
1: all time favorite movies. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Um, no. So how did you actually discover Vincent Price? Was it through
3: your father? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much all my. I mean, if you could see my my living
0: room right now, I I collect vintage horror movie one sheets like the theatrical posters
1: yeah
2: and so my apartment looks like uh halloween threw up (laughs)
3: Uh,
1: it's
2: just full of you know giant one sheets and day bills and nonsense and stuff so but early on you know the way i would bond with my dad was he would take me to the video store and we he'd say pick out a movie and i'll pick out a movie and we would watch each other's picks you okay. know and mine was mine was usually some schlocky 80s you know like critters or you know <laughs> something terrible like the stuff or return of the living dead and then he would pick like a classic you know like a Karloff film or a it's price film or something from his era so that was kind of how i got into it and That's then awesome. uh, he he passed away when i was a kid so that was just something that i always retained as like my sort of connection with my dad and then now as an adult which is scary to say that's just part <laughs> of my I- identity you know as who i am is just horror films and memorabilia and being a part of it i've even been fortunate enough to as a as an artist or whatever you want to call it appear at a handful of horror movie conventions you know sometimes they'll sort of pad them with the guests with with musicians and whatnot yes yep. so um i've gotten to appear in a couple of these and uh become really good friends with a lot of people that are in films that i'm a big fan of um Like I I said earlier, I'm probably going to, you know, quasi-name drop just because it goes with doing what this kind of conversation entails. But, like, for example, uh, Linda Blair uh, of The Exorcist just texted me about three or four days ago just to say happy holidays and reach out about some. She has a dog rescue that I'm a big proponent of, and so we were talking about some rescue-related stuff, but... The point is, is that like at eleven o'clock at night on like a fucking Thursday, Linda Blair was like, "Hey, Ace, just was thinking about you. How are you?" I'm like, wow. oh okay, Linda Blair from The Exorcist." You know? <laughs> so as a fan, as a fan, that's the stuff that I enjoy. is very rewarding to become friends with these people because it's cool to hang out with musicians you're a fan of. But you know, being in the industry for so long, I don't nothing really blows my skirt up anymore, as they say. Yeah. But when I become friends with
3: horror film that I'm a fan of I'm like oh man this
1: is so cool (laughs) yeah that's excellent that's excellent so um, if I asked you what are some of your other favorite horror movie uh, in general uh, you know besides the Vincent Price and the classics and things like that what comes to mind first probably
2: the most obvious
1: choices like absolutely The Shining hands down Uh,
2: Exorcist um, I'm a big fan of Exorcist 3 and I'm not going to launch into a tirade about why that's the real sequel and the best movie aside from the original franchise and blah 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 but, uh, if you haven't seen the Exorcist 3 and you're a fan of The Exorcist, you have to watch it. It's so good. Return of the Living Dead, uh, is a favorite of mine. I'm trying to think more in the last, like, 30 years or so. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of contemporary movies that I, uh, I really like. Let's see, there's a film about seven years ago from Australia called The Baba Duke that is amazing so i really like the Baba Duke uh, i really like the conjuring franchise i actually became friends with, i, I mean again with the name dropping uh <laughs> corin, hardy, who di- corin hardy who directed the nun which is a spin-off of the conjuring yep uh yep. is a is a big fan of the genre that i'm in now and we actually met and became friends and keep in touch pretty regularly so it was, it was cool to be texting him being like dude i'm going to see your movie tonight you know
1: <laughs> that's and, awesome uh
2: man. i'm trying to think what else I really liked It Follows. I really liked, I really liked Us. I really liked Get Out. There were a couple movies like Hereditary and some other
1: stuff that people really raved about that I didn't really get, like Midsummer and stuff. But, yeah.
2: you know, I, like I said, I'm a big fan of the genre, so I, I kind of subcategorize everything. Like, are you talking like black and white classic films? Or are you talking like 70s and 80s where things were kind of, you know, like Chainsaw to maybe, you know, circa 75 to like 1990? And then there's sort of like contemporary films. And then you get like, The uh, torture porn kind of movies like Saw and Hostel and stuff like that, which a lot of that stuff I don't really get into, even though I do like the Hostel franchise. I just prefer, my dad used to say, the scariest stuff in the movie is what you don't see. You know, it's like what happens off screen. It's like it's more scary in your imagination than it is to just show some
1: graphic Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that as well.
2: And yeah, so I like a good psychological horror film too, so... That's
1: kind of it. Okay, so here's a fun question for you then. If you had to star in one horror movie that already exists, what movie would you want to be in? Oh, wow. Uh, Well,
2: you know, that's kind of a loaded question because if I could be anybody in any film, um, I think I would have wanted to be Danny Torrance as a a kid and been that kid just because I think that's such an iconic role and that film still gives me goosebumps just now thinking about it. As an adult, it would be such an honor to have been in any capacity. Obviously, my affinity for Vincent Price any film with him would have been really cool Uh, especially um, having learned enough stuff about him as a human being where I imagine he was I've been led to believe he was a very lovely man even his daughter Victoria who was when I met her a few times like I said at these conventions, was just such a wonderful person so that would be cool Um, something contemporary just keep it
3: mixed up, I think it would be cool to be murdered uh, in a really graphic manner in a film, like uh, maybe like a soft movie,
2: you know, like I have my head spun around 360
1: <laughs> degrees or something like that, you know? All right, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so now I'm going to turn it around and bring it back to the, the music questions here. Um, sure. Is there a band that you'd still love to go out on tour with? Oh, wow. Well, when
2: you say that, you mean it with like, I'm in LA Guns now and I have, you know, I'm assuming you mean like under that banner. Yes. Like if LA Guns could go on tour with any band. Yes. Well, I mean, it'll never happen in a million years for every reason under the sun, but I would love to go out on tour with uh, Guns N' Roses. But uh, in a more sort of quasi-realistic fashion, Alice Cooper, for
1: sure. Yeah, that would be an amazing show. L.A. Guns and Alice Cooper, yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And I think that would be a, a good bill, too, you know? I totally agree. So now as far as tours that you you've already uh, been a part of with the Guns and with Faster Pussycat um has there been like a favorite tour or favorite group that you've already been out with?
2: You know, it's interesting because it's never really about the group. It's never like, "Oh man, it was so cool to tour with the band because of the band." It's always like, "Oh, it's really cool to tour with my friends," or
1: it's really cool because this one guy and I get along really well. Yeah. So sort of splitting the difference
2: it would be Tom Kiefer just because uh, his guitar player Tony uh, is one of my closest friends in the world and so not only am I a you know a pretty decent Cinderella fan but you know those the entire band and crew um, again name dropping his stage manager Rob uh, and I were on the phone yesterday because he sent me a early birthday gift and it's a if you're familiar with the comic book from the
1: 60s called creepy yeah uh, sent me an original
2: nineteen sixty four creepy number one. Oh wow. And I was like, dude, like this is like the coolest birthday gift ever. (laughs) But anyhow, again name dropping, but that's Tonky for Stage Manager. So anything with those guys is always a blast and and then Tony again is we're really close, so that's always an added bonus to just basically go on the road with like or do shows with like your best friend where you can sit down and have a beer and talk about your life and talk about what's going on, blah blah blah. But uh Outside of that, there was a band from Australia called The Art that toured with Pussycat for off and on for about two years. That was always a lot of fun. I don't know, doing shows in Junkyard is always a blast because I'm a big fan of those guys and they're, they're all friends too. Yeah, that's kind of what first things that come to mind.
1: Okay, so what in your opinion, since you're you're in uh, the scene with the LA Guns and in these 80s uh, metal bands, what do you think the ultimate 80s metal tour would be?
2: Well, I think this fucking package that's coming up this reunion tour is basically that, that Motley Crue, Death Leopard, Poison, Joan Jett tour is probably as far as like a package bill, you know, uh, I would say that, but you know, I, I'm kind of biased in the sense that like a lot of the bands from this era, uh, or that era stuff I don't listen to, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. I kind of missed it when I was a kid. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, it was, I was aware of it, but it wasn't when I was buying records, it was like 93, 94, you know, if I was maybe five years older, I would have been a fan of this stuff, but a lot of it I came back around in my 20s and sort of had to discover on my own because I was playing in bands with guys from the bands. I was like, oh, I'm in a band with a guy from L.A. Guns. I should probably know what song they do, you know? <laughs> yeah, okay. So a lot of these bands, with the exception of like maybe Skid Row, Guns N' Roses, Cinderella, you know, L.A. Guns, Pussycat, a lot of them's just stuff I don't really... Uh, not well-versed in, I guess you could say I'm not a fan of. I just It's not my thing. So when people might ask me about, you know, they're like, what's your favorite Bang Tango song? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, or, or, or whatever. So I, I'm, I guess you could say I'm very selective with, with the genre. But uh, if I was going to put together a tour, it'd be Tom Keifer and Elegant and Junkyard and Skid Row, or, like, rap headlining
1: or something like that, you know? And then I'd call it a day. Okay, very cool. Actually, I was going to ask you about the Motley Crue Tour uh, also, because my personal opinion, I feel like L.A. Guns would have been a, uh, you know, runner for the fourth fourth band over Joan Jett, because she doesn't seem to to fit that style, but that's just my biased opinion, I guess.
2: Well, the reason why we wouldn't be in the running is, uh, I will use one word, and I'll say it's politics. Gotcha. Um, But beyond that, you know, they want they wanted someone that equally could bring an additional thousand people to a show. And I think Joan uh, brings that and uh, to tie a lot of this all together, this conversation and the name dropping and the history and stuff. Uh, there's a band out of New Jersey
1: called the bouncing souls, a punk rock band. Yes. And mm-hmm. the singer Greg and his wife and
2: myself, I lived with them for about two years in my early twenties, maybe 21 to 23. And so his wife Shanti uh, was a, uh, uh uh, singer songwriter, and I was her guitar player, and we did a lengthy run on work Tour. And the drummer for the Bouncing Souls is a guy named Mike McDermott, and Mike and I have kept in touch. Blah blah blah. And this year on Warp Tour, uh, at that time was maybe 2004 five. I don't know. Joan Jett was on the tour, and so long story short, uh, the guy in the Bouncing Souls, who singer I used to live with and play with his in his wife's band and whatnot.
1: And we still keep in touch, talk to him pretty frequently. He is now the drummer for Joan Jet and the Blackhearts. Oh, wow, okay.
2: So, I, you know, when you mentioned the Joan Jet thing, I'm I I'm biased because not only am I a fan, but their drummer is a guy I've known since I was, like, 17. So, that being said, uh, I think it makes sense because when you look at the sort of bubblegum factor of Def Leppard and definitely Poison, um, Joan Jet still kind of carries that sort of, like, that glammy, punky, obviously, I mean, you know, the Runaways. But, right. But, um... That vibe. So, even though she's not a hair metal band per se or whatever, not that really Def Leppard is a hair metal band, they they kind of fit under that umbrella a little bit because all their popularity was mostly in the 80s, Uh, as was Jones, um, more or less. It it, it works. So, and it, it, from a political standpoint, business standpoint, it brings in that extra, you know, like I I have a lot of friends that are like, well, I'm really only going to see Joan Jett and maybe one of the other bands. Whereas they're like, well, I wouldn't go just to see the three bands. I'm going mostly because I want to see Joe. So okay, very cool. It makes sense, you know, on the on the business side of things. And I think it's great. I think, that, to be honest, if I was going to go to that show, it would be only to see Joan Chet. <laughs> so, um, but again, that's just me. That's my taste. Um, I wish we were on that tour. I wish we were on a tour of that magnitude. But, you know, uh, a lot of it's booking agents and management and this guy fucked this guy's wife in 1989 and those kind of things. <laughs> Getting added to that tour for a
3: multitude of reasons, but it would be great if we were. I'll, I'll say
1: that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, uh, I know a few episodes ago we were we were debating on the podcast who the fourth band would be, and, and LA Guns came up quite a few times. So, um, I LA was at, yeah. That's flattering to
2: hear. I, w- I wish it was us. You know,
1: I really do. Well, with that being said, um, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know you have things going on uh, this evening, but um, can you just take this time now to just tell us about upcoming projects that you're involved in, what the LA Guns got going on, um, plug all your social media, and just basically just take this time now to, to talk about anything you want to talk about that's coming up. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, well, it's the holidays, so stuff starts to slow down a little bit. I'm pretty active in the dog rescue slash uh, pit bull advocacy world. So I'm constantly doing stuff like that. I'm actually picking up a giant box. And when I say giant, I mean like the size of a human being, uh, (laughs) a box of dog toys this afternoon, which is one of the reasons I got to go to donate to uh, several rescues here in town. Uh, What else? Ellie Guns just dropped uh, a Christmas EP uh, uh, less than a week ago called... uh, Another Xmas in Hell, Another Christmas in Hell, um, which is a couple songs. Uh, William Shatner is on it. Um, surprise. Um, it's, it's all covers. There's a, a couple punk rock covers on there, which I may or may not be responsible for the influence on. <laughs> um, but they're all they're all Christmas songs, to the point. And well, so Ellie Guns has some shows. Uh, we're at the San... Manuel Casino in San Bernardino this Friday and then we've got a bunch of shows at the end of the year. Uh, two nights at Vampton Vegas they'll sell out. House of Blues San Diego on the 30th and then New Year's Eve at the whiskey Gogo. and then we're pretty much off for a few months. Um, we're gonna start working on a new record again. And I'm going to busy myself with a ton of other things. I'll be—I think I'm going to go on the road for a week with the 69 Eyes, um, the Finnish uh, goth rock band, and uh, just hang out with them. Um, I'm going to be at Ricky Ratman's for about five days starting this weekend on my man vacation, have some bro time, you know. I am always looking for voiceover work. I do dabble in that in that industry. Um, I've got two shows that premiered this season on Netflix with my voice work on them. a Show called uh, Marianne and a show called Money Heist Season 3. And so I'm constantly trying to look for stuff there. So if anyone hears this and likes the sound of my voice, uh, I also do animation and parts and stuff, characters.
1: Excellent. And um, so that's kind of it. And just um, I'm going to be doing a lot of writing
3: in the new year. Um, some stuff I, I I can't really, I think I can't
2: divulge yet, but uh, I'm basically writing for three different projects starting at the beginning of the year and just busy work, you know. So everything's good. Keep my... Uh, head above water and staying busy and just trying to network and make sure everybody knows who I am and all that stuff and uh, you know help some dogs kids along the way like tonight I've got a gig it's a Toys for Tots drive as I mentioned when you called I was just dumping out a giant my couch is covered in children's toys right now which is (laughs) kind of strange and so just trying to do stuff like that you can follow me on social media at Ace Vaughn Johnson
3: A-C-E-V-O-N-J
1: excellent well thank you so much for your time i truly appreciate it and maybe i will see you out there for the 69 Eyes show because i will be checking out one or two of those as my buddy jack is playing guitar for wednesday 13 who's one of the uh the supporting acts so uh, yeah yeah i've known jack since we were teenagers oh that's excellent yeah we're we're real good friends so uh, um maybe maybe i'll see you out there very cool well thank you so much yeah absolutely have a good night Alright, Rock Soldiers, so that was a great interview with Ace. Um, Learned a lot about him that I didn't even know, um, and I'm crazy into the the music scene, as you all know by now. So I thought it was a great interview. I hope you guys did too. Uh, Let Ace know. Get us on social media. You know, A B A O Pod is our brand new Twitter. We're still trying to push that out there. Get some more interaction. We'll do some polls. We'll interact with some of our guests. And guys, let us know what you want to hear, what you liked. And of course, as always, check the link in the description of the show for Insane Labs. I've never looked better, felt better. And I'm telling you right now, Insane Labs is the place to be. If you're a gym rat, pro wrestler, whatever the case may be, Our Vegas 30 saves you a ton of money at checkout. If you don't like it, you don't have to buy from me again, but at least try it and let me know what you think. So until next time, rock soldiers, thank you, and thank you Ace Von Johnson of LA Guns.
2: The preceding presentation has been brought to you by the Gear Network.